The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Well, the playoffs are here. The games have started. The fights have broken out. The injuries have happened. The games have been won. The games have been lost. Overtimes have been played and played some more. And we're only three games into any series. And there's nobody in danger of being swept. Which is something of a surprise, except for one thing that I think I said about a year ago uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Um, It's nestled into our show roster with one word. Um, And it could possibly be two words, but we'll we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, What have you noticed? What have you what stood out the most to you in the postseason so far? Uh, there's a lot more to me there's a lot more physical and and I'm not just talking about any one particular series there's a lot more physical we've got players who've actually been suspended multiple games it's just uh, there were years in the past where we would sit there and watch and certain series you knew were going to be more finesse style and certain series, like at one point there was a King's Blue series, say about a decade ago, maybe a little less, maybe eight years, something like that, where we knew how physical it was going to be. And it was going to be so much fun to watch and the hitting. And it was brutal. It was that brutal. has that has extended to, in my opinion, the whole playoffs. There is not any one team that has not uh, embraced the fact that you need to be physical. Okay. That's one, that that's just one of the things I've noted. And I've also noticed that the expected winners are having a little bit more trouble than they were anticipating. Uh, Teams like Colorado and uh, Edmonton in, in particular. I wouldn't go so far as to say Boston for different reasons, but um, the physicality overall, I don't know if this is the I don't think this is the most physical uh, first round I've ever seen. But I think it's the nastiest first round I've seen in at least five or six years. There's more slashes. There's spears that aren't being called. There's we've seen, what, two, three really ugly knee on knee hits. Um, including the one that put out a Norris candidate that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, I always say that the pace of the first round is completely unsustainable. Um, And that's (laughs) why some of the, that's where coaching comes in, in the later rounds. Um, it, It, you know, I hate, excuse me. In a lot of ways, I hate the metaphor, but in warfare, they don't. They say that you know who wins the war doesn't tell you who's right; it only tells you who's left. And with the injury situation in a lot of teams, it, there's a there's a definite comparison. I mean, 
for Boston, you talk about Bergeron and Krejci being out uh, in the last game. You talk about some of the other injuries. I think we're going to see a couple of more really devastating injuries this round. Not as much from the hits uh, or from the legal big hits, but from the stupid slashes, the boardings. Um, I don't know if you were watching yesterday, but I legitimately thought Point was going to die in front of my eyes. I did not see this game. Braden Point got drilled headfirst into the boards. And it's one of those sparks that turned that Leafs and Bolts game into what's going to be an ugly, ugly series. I mean, he got up and skated away under his own power, mm-hmm. which shocked me. Um, Sounds like the went, Pavelski. But then he went down on the ice about 20 feet away from where he stood up. And he came back to the game later. I mean, clearly they cleared him for concussion, but at the angle he went in, I'm imagining his neck does not feel good at all this morning. Most likely not. I mean, the, the hit on Pavelski was ugly. The thing, the thing is that the hit on Pavelski, ugly as it was, and I, I know I tweeted this out at the time, and and, and I said, look, I rewatched it. I. I Rewound it on the T. I rewatched it a couple of times, and the fact that they only gave Dumba two minutes, you know, they lowered it from a five-minute major. They had to. It was a, it was a legal hit, as ugly as it was. But those are the type of things that you're going to see in a first round. Everybody's trying to get some kind of edge, and no, it, that's. I mean, that's the sad. Well, it's not sad. But the thing about the first round is more important than winning. Nobody wants to be the first team eliminated. Absolutely everyone refuses to uh, to be the guy or um, to be the play uh, to be the team that goes out first, gets swept, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's just it, – it, I think it leads to a little bit more recklessness, not just aggressiveness, but actual recklessness, both in defending oneself or failing to and in moving taking, – taking actions that are, shall we say, inadvisable and occasionally inexcusable. No, I I'm, I agree. I, I, I the the referees are and and the referees and linesmen definitely have have to have their heads on swivels. Things are going on all over the place, and it's just and like you said in the last five or six years, I think the physicality has ramped up, has definitely ramped up this season in the first round. No, nobody wants to be the first team eliminated. I kind of, I know that there's going to be injuries. I mean, I've watched hockey 
all my life. Yeah. I, I yeah. know that there's going to be injuries. I know that these things are going to happen. I don't wish them upon anybody. It It's what usually rallies a team, gets them going. Uh, but it's just sometimes it's it's scary to watch. I mean, legal hit on, on Joe Pavelski. And the main reason that he's actually out for games three and four, at the very least, is not so much the hit, but the fact that when he went down, he hit his head on the ice. And then that's yet another impact is it's not just how hard you get hit along the boards. It's it's what happens in the immediate split seconds after. It's just like, oh, I, I don't know. It, it's definitely ramped up. Uh, like I said, it, it's I love watching physical hockey. I don't enjoy watching players get hurt. Yeah. Um, that said, let's, uh, let's take a look at a couple of the series. Um, obviously we both watched the Bruins games. What series have you watched? What games have you, you know, particularly found compelling? Aside from them? Yes. Uh, the second, the, the, the series that has caught my attention most beyond that, as we talked about pre-show, I, Edmonton and L.A. And I, I've i been watching it just from a standpoint of Edmonton is supposed to be the offensive juggernaut. Edmonton is going to, you know, walk all over L.A. Well, and as I said, teams that are expected to lose are, are holding their own. And the Kings being up two games to one is not really a shock to me. I mean, if we go back a week or two ago when we were when we talked about it, I actually said that I think the Kings are going to win this series. Uh, I know that I'm going out on not exactly the widest of limbs on that one, but not narrow either. I, they just, I think that L.A. plays a more rounded game. Uh, they seem to have struggled two of the three wins. Their two wins have both come in overtime. Uh, in game two, they actually opened with literally one shot on net in the first period. Uh, th- there have been times where they've just looked overmatched. And I guess yeah. is the nicest way to put it, but yet for them to be ahead two games to one, I've seen a little bit of Colorado series with Seattle and the fact that they had to win a game six to four over the Kraken again with the Kraken. Kraken are a very scrappy team. Yes. I I don't think they're a good team. I think they're very scrappy, and that's a, there's a difference. Like, they're this – the Seattle Kraken are that kid most of us knew in school, like fifth grade, sixth grade, started fights with everyone, got their butt handed to them every single time, and then talked like they won. And – you know what? It got them into the playoffs. Uh, looking back, looking at your at the Dallas Edmonton series, after three games, the two teams have scored the same number of goals. Both of them have scored nine game nine goals through the three games. Um, series that I have enjoyed watching the most, yes. even though the outcome hasn't been 
it hasn't been hair on fire hockey for the most part. It's actually been pretty lopsided uh, until game three has been the, uh, the devils and the Rangers. You have an experienced team that's overloaded with superstar talent and big names. I mean, the Rangers went all in. They picked up Tarasenko and Kane, uh, both guys who were impactful in Stanley Cup runs um, for a couple of different teams. They brought them into the locker room. Both guys are contributing. And, you know, through the first two games, it looked like it could be a very short series. Watching yesterday's game, I felt the same way in the about six or seven minutes into period two that I did watching Edmonton last year when the two of us were were sitting talking about how amazing Dreisaitl was playing despite having one leg, how well Nurse was playing despite having whatever massive Bergeron-level injuries, um, and then watching McDavid click into the difference between regular season and pl- and playoff winning hockey. Um, I watched the Devils do the same thing. The Devils in the first two games looked like they didn't know what planet they were on and weren't sure if they could breathe the air. First period, a little bit flat for them. Second period, they started playing cohesive hockey again. They looked dangerous. They started being able to make consecutive passes in all three zones. They started taking the physicality to the Rangers. Um, and it was it was a very different game to watch than the first two in the series. Um, I still think this is going to be a long series. I actually still think the Devils can win this series. Um and I think that anyone who has the time to watch games early in the day or, or watch Eastern Eastern time zone games should throw this on. I, I think it's going to be a great series now that um, Hughes and even Heischer and Brat have sort of reoxygenated. Um, Akira Schmid was in net. He allowed one goal to the Rangers. That was necessary. That uh, looking at the numbers, Vanacek put up. Vanacek didn't look good. It, like <clears throat> he's, I hate to condemn him this early into his career. He's 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 got like an eight twenty save percentage in the first two games. Uh, like Vanacek is not a playoff goalie. Okay. It, I just him. I think didn't we see him in the playoffs at some point last year as well? I forget where he was, but well, he was with Washington. But he's got an eight twenty seven save percentage this year. Yeah, that was that was the first thing they needed to do was make a change in net. He just no, it wasn't happening. Yes, Washington last year he had. An 863 save percentage in two games. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's five full playoff games, but he's got one win in those five playoff games. Um, and admittedly, one of those games, he only played 13 minutes, but um, his career save percentage in the playoffs is 841. I don't know if he just needs just needs a goalie bob for for that team to help him or for his team to help him just dial in a, a little bit better and he's not super old i mean he's only 27 at this point but you'll need to you still need to drill in uh, i mean he's still his career is still fairly early stage he's played 131 total games that's it. Yeah. So maybe maybe I'm unfairly condemning him, but you know, you look at Akira Schmid, he played yesterday like a <clears throat> he played like a strong veteran number one goaltender. And it was great to see. because uh, he I mean he played well when there was a lot of shots, and he played well when there were just a few shots here and there. Um, I I think that if he can win this round, they know who their goaltender of the future is. Uh, something tells me that somewhere along the line, they're still holding out hope for... They're still holding out hope for Mackenzie Blackwood, but... Personal opinion. Personal opinion. That window is is uh, closing. I I I just I'm concerned for McKenzie in turn just from a health standpoint. He 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 seems to have issues because when he does come in and play, he plays well. Uh, He has played extremely well in Bruins games. I've seen him play well, and he is a solid goaltender. He just can't Can't stay stay out, and he's also not consistent which may or may not be a byproduct of the not being able to stay healthy because he's always coming back and then there's rust on the you know a little bit of rust that you got to shake off and then so oh, yeah I, I think that Akira Schmid can cement himself in the net with a solid performance here in the first round so you don't think he has to win to start next season or go into camp next season as the as the number one if he went, if he gets them out of the first round, I think he definitely puts himself at the top of the list. Okay, yeah, but I think Blackwood, that, who I think is, who feels like it's been he's been in the league forever, is actually only 26 years old. He's got 152 NHL games under his belt. Um, so you know, if if he can get healthy and stay healthy, you know. I don't know if he's <laughs> expected back this offseason or this postseason, but um, if he can enter camp, <clears throat> maybe they end up with a Swayman Olmark like pairing, and that would be great for the team. Because they don't have to ride, right? They don't have to ride either guy like a government mule. I'm sure, New Jersey would love that. I mean, Vanacek was. Benicek was brought in, in my estimation, in my guesstimation, 
was brought in as an insurance policy against the fact that McKenzie just has these issues. If he can somehow get healthy, stay consistent, the need for a Vanacek suddenly becomes uh, not as important. Correct. Because you <laughs> now, have an Akira Schmidt who can stand up and, and do what he has to do. At this point, we'll we'll discuss the cap implications of the Devils later. Um, mm-hmm. But watching watching the game yesterday, it was it was almost like looking at two different teams who had been wearing the same jersey from the first period into the second period. Um, I also saw the Vegas and. There's a there's a series I have not yet caught on to, and I and I'm and me who likes Vegas, and I haven't seen a Vegas game yet. It's terrible. Uh, well, the Vegas Winnipeg games have been pretty interesting. Um, apparently, you need to score five in order to win this series. Uh, the Jets scored five and won the first game. Uh-huh. The Knights scored five uh, and won the next two. Oh, <laughs> Yesterday's okay. game went to double overtime. And it was a really physical game. Um, I feel really bad for the Jets this year because a minute and 14 into game one, or maybe it was game two, they lost Josh Morrissey. (sighs) Arguably the best defenseman in the league this year ruled out for the series I, I, you're not going to get any argument from me defensively. I think that yes, he he is he should definitely be getting consideration. Uh, I think um, the I think from a fun standpoint, the fact that Eichel is finally getting to play in the playoffs. Oh, it that's the other side of the series has been great um, <clears throat> in terms of what it looks like for the. For Vegas, because they look like a powerhouse again. They look nice. a lot like that. They're not as physical as the first year they were in the playoffs in that first season. But they're definitely more skilled. I mean, Chandler Stevenson, great. Um, he's got four points through three games. Jack Eichel, four points through three games. Mark Stone, four points through three games. Um, Alex Petrangelo, stop me if you've heard this, four points through three games. William Carlson's a point per game. Michael uh, Amadio is a point per game. Ivan Barbashev, two points. Riley Smith, they're getting contributions from everyone. I think that might be the big surprise is the way Michael Amadio is playing. I literally jumped out of college into the league, and it's like, hey, yeah, I go here. I can I can hear him uh, using that uh, Bianca Belair. Yeah, I go here now. And, yeah, he, he stepped into the fight and uh, started swinging. It's, where, where you've seen where you've seen more of this this particular matchup than I have. Who is the backup goaltender? for Vegas. Is it Logan Thompson? Is I don't it, know. I mean, like, they're starting Lauren Boursois, who 
okay, yeah, he played for Toronto and will be, you know, me. But his 890, his 897 save percentage, and granted he had a high save percentage in game two. He had a 939 in game two, but 897 is not going to get it done. And not for anything, neither is Hellebuck's 894. Neither goaltender is having a no. stellar round here. And I'm I, just curious as to if they're starting Brossois, who is the backup? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yesterday, yesterday's game, uh, Brossois himself is a backup. <laughs> that's just mean. You should feel very, very bad. I'm not very trying sick. to be mean, but that's what he was in his time in Toronto. He was a backup. He has not been a number one anywhere as of the as of this point until now. Great. Guess what? We're going in the playoffs. Oh, we're going to start uh, this guy. Yeah, there you go. Everybody's maybe going. they just pulled names out of a hat. Oh, sure. Hey, you know, maybe they had a, a lottery or something. Man. Whichever because guy Cassidy those. least got to be backup. Well, they had Logan Thompson, Jonathan Quick, Lauren Brassois. I'm trying to remember who the fourth name was. There was a fourth name there, too. They had four goaltenders. So, I, I, Well, they've had five goaltenders on the ice at some point this year. And not counting, of course, uh, the guy who was injured and out the whole season. Logan Thompson, Jonathan Quick, Yuri Patera, Aiden Hill, Lauren Brassois. Aiden Hill, that was the one I was thinking of. But that I mean, we'll we'll talk about that thing. We'll talk about goalies in a minute uh, or later in the show. But this series, it's good hockey, but I can't say it's the most entertaining series to watch. Um, which other series have we uh, not? Uh, talking about yet? Oh, the Minnesota Dallas series. I'm trying to figure out why. Okay, my first question is, what was Dean Everson thinking? And and Grant, I'm I'm not here to question coaches, but yes, you are. Well, okay, yeah. So why after why after game one? Uh, did he suddenly go to because he had Gustafson in net for game one and then he turns around and in game two goes to uh, Marc-Andre Fleury Um, Marc-Andre Fleury has been there and done that but you Beat the Stars, yes, it was in overtime, but you beat the Stars in game one with Gustafson and Nett. And he had a 962 save percentage in 92 minutes of ice time. Okay, maybe he was still dehydrated and not ready to go. 96 minutes is a lot of hockey. It's a lot of hockey. Then you bring in Marc-Andre Fleury who is not the same Marc-Andre Fleury. No, he's not. And gives up. 
a lot of goals. And there were a lot of goals in game two. Scored by Dallas. <laughs> but this this has been a playoff round typified by a lot of game goals. I mean, Minnesota. Minnesota scored five goals in game hey, two. The fact that they have scored more goals in this round than they have in like the past three or four rounds combined. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm hyperbole, but maybe it is a little hyperbole, but still the fact that they have scored the way they're scoring is. Oh, look. And then in game three, Gustafson comes back and he has a 958 save percent. I think that, I think that Dean Everson needs to, um, not go to Mark. Yes, Mark Andre Fleury is going to Hall of Fame, but uh, I think he needs to be a, a, an observer. Uh, Dean Everson hasn't made too many dumb moves, um, so I'm I'm going to lean on my dehydration theory. Okay, I'll let I'll let you have it for now. If he does it again, I'm going to start calling Dean Everson in a question here. <laughs> Clearly, Gustafson is the way to go. But I just, as I you, mean, as you mentioned earlier, that Dumba hit on Pavelski, mm, yeah, has been pretty normal for this series. I mean, it's that was a spectacular hit, and you know, you're talking about Pavelski, who, if he's not a Hall of Famer, is certainly a converse in the conversation about the Hall of Fame. Um, that's. That's going to magnify the hit a little bit. Yes. And, but this has just been a physically brutal series. And one of the things that I was slightly surprised to see, um, happy to see it, is how engaged um, Tyler Sagan has been in this round. Like, Sitting on the bench, or if he's on the ice for a goal, he's dialed in. Like, he's 100% present. And I don't think we've seen that out of him in the past two or three years. He's got he's got a goal. He, yes, he's a minus one in the series, but it's three games. Yippee. Um, okay. He's won, you know, 58.5% of the faceoffs he's taken. So he's contributing. Um, and this is he's one of the players that I mentioned had to contribute as more than just a goal scorer in order for them to win this round. Yes. Um, so I'm very pleased to see it. Uh, Rupe Hints, though. Oh, love Rupe Hints. Um if we're going to talk about individuals and their impact on the playoffs, on the series, mm-hmm. I don't think we can start anywhere other than Rupe Hintz. Um, he had that literally gorgeous hat trick um, in game two. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I, I didn't get to see all of that game, but I watched, I rewatched parts of it and he just owned that game. Like, he was more than a threat. He was a problem for the whole game, and it was beautiful. 
he's he's a matchup he, he's a he's a matchup nightmare not in the sense of of Connor McDavid uh, yes we all know what Connor's capable of but I think Rope Hints plays a more well-rounded game than Connor does and I know that I'm going to get slapped around by the NHL community but I'm sorry I still don't think that Connor is as strong on the defensive end as he could be. I, I mean, and I think that Rope Hints is more of a 200 foot player. And I think that he presents matchups uh, all over the ice that, that other teams are going to have difficulty with. And right now it looks like the wild are having difficulty with it. Absolutely. Um, have you looked at the stats for the league, uh, like the individual stats? Uh, only to the point where um, I've seen like goalie stats, and, and you know me, I like the goaltenders. Okay. But no, Off I the top of your head. Yeah. Do you know who's leading the postseason in scoring right now? No, um, you know. It's going to be an Edmonton guy. Let's go with uh, Dreisaitl. Actually, he's only second, and he's only at two points per game. Oh, only at two points per game. Okay. Yes. Hmm. So then, minor. I'm going to say his buddy had his buddy had issues in game one, so I don't think it was him. No. Um, A hint: uh, the person ahead of him is in the Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference. Pasta hasn't had a good series. Um, Kachuk, no. Hughes? Um, not Hughes. Uh, he's only had that one goal and maybe an assist. Uh, oh, wait. Austin Matthews or somebody from Tampa Bay, like Kucherov or something. Uh, wrong and wrong. It would be the one, the only Mitch Marner. Eight points. Two, six, and eight for plus four through three games. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Eight shots on goal, an even strength goal, um, four power play points, um, 25 shooting percentage, and 22 39 a night in time on ice for Mitch Marner through, uh, through the first three games of the series. What was it people keep saying about Mitch Marner not contributing and blah, 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 blah in the playoffs? Guess what? I think he's he's contributing. He's showing up this year. I'm pretty sure he's contributing. I may have to recheck those numbers, but when the points, the number under PPG is 267, I'm almost certain that's good. Uh, if anyone wants to correct me in the uh, in the comments for the show or drop me a tweet, just just go ahead. You know how to find me at Puck Sage. Um, although last year, you know, he was he only put up eight points in seven games. No, oh, well, that's oh. terrible. Um, and even if you go way back to the seventeen eighteen series, his second year, you know, in the playoffs. Nine points in seven games, as he had a couple of down uh, uh, postseason runs. Sure, but as of today, 
Mr. Invisible, as a lot of Toronto fans have called him. Ouch. Is 41 points in 42 games. That's 15 nice. power play points to his career. Two shorthanded points uh, in the postseason to his career. Uh, two game winning goals. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at that argument that he's invisible and doesn't contribute. Um, it looks it looks sort of like Jordan Bennington's uh, save percentage there. Um, yeah, so going to have to pass on that one. You know who's third in scoring for the uh, playoffs this year so far? Third in scoring? Yep. Marner's first, Dreisaitl's second. Uh, Rope Hints. Nope, he's actually fifth. Oh, okay. Tied for fourth, but yeah. All right, so who's third? The one, the only, Adam Fox. A defenseman? Whoa. Six assists through his first through the first three games. Three at even strength, three at power play. So he's got as many points as Dreisaitl? He's got as many points as Dreisaitl. His are all assists, yeah. Okay. And you know what? The, the most the funniest thing about this is having watched a lot of the a lot of the games between these two teams, the Devils and the Rangers. Mm-hmm. You barely hear his name. Like he's doing he's super quiet at what he's doing. Like Keandre Miller has thrown some gorgeous hits. Ryan Lindgren has made some really interesting and really good plays and been whacked hard a couple of times. Yeah, we uh, you know, we... Truba always is throwing hits uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, people have to pay attention and keep their keep their eyes open, their head, uh, their head up whenever he's on the ice. Lindgren has yet, two points in three games. Adam Fox right there. I mean, the most surprising of the top 10 scorers right now, well, actually, there's like 15 people at five. Corey Perry has five points at age 30 and a lot. Yeah, Pavelski would have a lot if he wasn't summarily removed. Again, not blaming Dumba. It was a legal hit. But. The fact that Pavelski's not around, we've seen what he's capable of at 38 years old. I, is 30 is is 35 the new 25? 35 the new I don't know 27 or something in, in 28. I mean, 35 is the new 30. <laughs> I think it's I think legitimately for players who make it into the league past like 32, 35 seems to be the tail off point that we were seeing from players. 15, 20 years ago at age 30. And you, you look at numbers and you got Pavelski, crazy. Bergeron, uh, possibly going to win another Selkie. Uh, Perry, uh, you just start running down the list of 
players who are over the age of 35. It's scary. And and, and that the, the, they're playing the at a high level. And contributing heavily. Yes. Just crazy. I don't know. The, the fact that I guess the fact that we have no sweeps lined up for the first round is a tribute to. I don't. Do we have parity in the NHL? I mean, I know that that's the the whole goal of of, of having a salary cap. Yes is, no. The whole goal of having a salary cap is to create parity, but. Um, is it is it something where because we have salary go ahead, cap? Go ahead. Okay, I'm just thinking: is it something that because we have this this salary cap era and we have such a there's such a a spotlight put on the the trade deadline and and the acquisitions that go on there, and you look at players, it's just. The fact that we have no no uh, teams that are going to be eliminated, no teams that are in danger of being swept. Everybody's everybody's going at least five games here. I don't think I was ready to predict that. And the shock to me is that, yes, I expected a team like Seattle first time around. They have a couple of guys who played in the playoffs. You got Yanni Gord. We talked about this last week, week before. But you still expect that the powerhouses such as Colorado with all of their goal scoring, Edmonton with all of their goal scoring, that they were going to be able to knock out these other teams. And the fact that none of them are getting swept is just to me, I I think it's more enjoyable hockey than watching a team that really doesn't look like it belongs. All of these teams actually look like they belong. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Um, when the teams are playing to their full potential, yes, the the Devils, despite having a better regular season record than the Rangers, didn't look like they belonged in the first suit in the first game. They didn't look like they belonged in the second game. Third game, they wake up or reoxygenate, as I said earlier, and they suddenly start looking like a real team. I will say. If we were playing East versus West in a lot of these series, I think you have a lot higher likelihood of a of a sweep because the teams are just not as familiar with each other. Like if Boston were playing if Boston were playing Seattle and Colorado were playing Florida. Okay. Um, or Vegas was playing the Islanders and Carolina was playing the Jets. I think you up the odds because then it, then you're getting back to pure adrenaline and will, which is most apparent in the first round. But I think with that familiarity uh, in division, a lot of it comes down to headspace, both, you know, for both teams, do both teams or both locker rooms believe that they can win? Are they carrying grudges that are bigger than they should be and occluding their view of the long-term goal? Um, you've got coaching, you've got the power of coaching and video replay and analysis and yada, yada, yada of uh, just much more data. 
Um, I, I kind of wonder what the NHL playoffs would look like if, you know, you let all the division winners pick their first round opponents from any <laughs> playoff team who wasn't a division winner well, and then just the rest. There's a new strategy. <laughs> oh God. It would, you it don't would play absolutely, game. <laughs> it would break a lot of people and probably me included because, you know, I mean, just imagine that the Bruins pick Minnesota as their first round opponent and uh, Carolina picks uh, Carolina decides that they're going to be they're going to pick Toronto as their first round opponent. And Colorado decides that they're going to pick um, they're going to pick the the, the uh, Rangers because they want them out of the way quick. And the and the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. They pick Dallas. Uh, because they don't want to travel very far or they want to be someplace warm in the first round. I, it, it, the potential for chaos is amazing. Yes. The logistics of it are brain breaking, but yeah. Oh goodness. It would be, it, it, it would be very interesting to see what, who teams picked just because a team finished in eighth doesn't mean they'd be chosen for the first round, I guess. But wow. Yeah. And that comes down and like that allows for both rivalries and matchups to factor into a club's choice because I mean, the Bruins picking Toronto to play to face in the first round. Mm -hmm. Historically, that's been a great matchup for the Bruins, but is it the matchup you actually want this year? Uh, well, and, and if you ask the Bruins right now, they probably wouldn't be too thrilled about the match. Yes, they're ahead, but the King, the Florida has given them more of an issue than you would expect. So yeah, I can, I can see where that's going. I mean, would you necessarily pick the team that finished in eighth just because they finished in eighth or, Hmm, maybe this year we struggled against them. It'd be like if Ottawa made the playoffs. Would the Bruins choose Ottawa? I would probably, you know, I'd question it because, you know, they struggled against Ottawa at least the first couple of games. Same same with like Buffalo. I mean, uh, but that's, I mean, going back to your point about the parody in the league, I think that in a lot of ways there is parody, but I. Th- I think what we're really seeing is teams working out different equations for winning hockey. Um, You look at how some of these teams are constructed. The Bruins ridiculously balanced. Their defense is really strong. Thanks to really, 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 really team friendly contracts from Bergeron and Krejci this year. They're ridiculous at center um, and their wings are solid too. But you look at, you look at uh, Toronto and Edmonton and they're offense heavy goaltending questionable defense <laughs> available. Um, you look at Vegas, they don't actually have a stupidly, they don't actually have like superstar goal scores. They have some great talent up front but they're a pretty balanced team who's not 
quite as good as Boston in terms of total depth. Um, you look at uh, you look at the LA Kings. They're getting it done by committee. Uh, same, really, the same for uh, Minnesota. So you've got you know four or five different styles of playoff teams, and the saying has always been styles make fights, and that's what we're seeing. The game, the teams that can play their style are winning. Sort of. I mean, Boston series has been atypical. They won the first game playing their C plus game. They lost in the second game playing their D game. D minus. <laughs> and they won in the third game playing probably a B game. Clearly their best game of the series, but yeah, it's still not their A game. And Not a high bar. No. Um, but individual. In going back to talking about some of the individual players, um, Charlie Coyle, best player on the ice for the Bruins in the third game, but Brad Marchand clearly grabbed the baton and stood up as a team leader. Yes. In game three. Um, and it was gorgeous because he was aggressive, controlled, and focused. He was no, effective I... on every inch of the ice. Uh, he got that early goal, and I think that that all by itself was a good thing for the team, a calming thing, a focusing event for the roster. I know that I I know that I tweeted out. Can we please keep him? Because like like when you find a you know find a little kitten or find a puppy or, or what? Um, there is one player that has taken to these playoffs like a fish to water, and it's his first time in the playoffs. And if you haven't noticed, Tyler Bertuzzi. There's you're something not, wrong. With you're him. clearly not watching the games because Tyler Bertuzzi <laughs> has been all over the ice. He's he has fit into this team. I mean, and by the way, he leads the Bruins in postseason points. Yes. Um, and, and him way, and Dmitry Orlov. Uh, there, there is one of us who knew about Tyler Bertuzzi before we got here, but um, aren't I the one who tweeted like 12 hours before they traded for him? that he was a player they might be looking at. Yeah. But details, details. Tyler Bertuzzi has fit into this Bruins roster like a joint popping back into its socket after dislocation. Uh, It's – I tweeted about this during the regular season. The stuff that he does right at like the – hockey fundamentals level like he doesn't make bad passes he just does not make passes to nobody or to space or his turnovers are probably the lowest on the team been watching him do that with the red wings for years now (laughs) um he plays absolutely to the edge of what's going to get him penalties 
I do have um, a question. Does he have a few too many penalties in the postseason? Yes. I do have a question. 26 penalty minutes through three games. Which was which was weirder? That the Tyler Bertuzzi took another player's hockey. Was it Kachucks? No. I, took another player's hockey stick to the bench. Or the fact that Brad Marchand actually was giving him grief for taking the player's hockey stick. Because <laughs> if I, Brad Marchand is giving you grief for something that you did to get in the player's head. <laughs> it's a very different Brad Marchand than we saw six or seven years ago. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that was brilliant, by the way. He takes his stick, takes it to the bench, and he's like, eh, he puts it down next to him. <laughs> Maybe he maybe he legitimately got wanted an autograph and you know said hey uh, uh, can you sign this stick for me after the game it was it was beautiful it was beautiful but you looking at looking at the series every every team it, to a certain extent has someone who has stepped up and said I'm gonna own this game or I'm gonna own this series yes. Um, I mean, some of the save percentages right now are bonkers. And Good yes, it's only, it's only a short, a small sample size. Philip Gustafson, 961 through two games. Igor Shosturkin, 950 through two games. Um, it just... It's... It, Akira Schmid finished the game with a 972... Yeah, that was game three. Yep. Ilya Sorokin, three games, 942 save percentage. He's been doing he's been doing it all year. I mean, he's been the guy over with the Islanders. That um I'm less surprised about Sorokin than I am about I mean I don't know, the fact that Omar's only got a nine thirteen. Now after game he's two first. Yeah, we talked about that pre. It, it, there's something there, and they're not going to admit it until he can't play. I mean, he's a hockey player, and we all know hockey players just do not like do not like not being on the ice. <laughs> um, even Grubauer, who I think carried has carried some of his past teams here and there, he's got a 9.17 save percentage. Yep. Uh, in the postseason right now, that's higher than his career regular season playoff save percentage. His regular and his regular season numbers aren't bad. They're like a nine twelve, nine thirteen. No, no, no. But this particular year, between he and Martin Jones, neither one of them was over ninety percent. Eight ninety five for Grubauer, yeah. Yeah, and now he's got a nine seventeen in the playoffs. Okay, then. Um, which is okay. Stepped up his game. Last year, behind Colorado, Kale McCarr and the rest of the Speed Demons on their blue line, he had a 914 in 10 of the games that took that team to the Stanley Cup final. Um, six wins, four losses, and a 914. Behind Seattle's defense, which I don't think is as good. Certainly doesn't hit the highs. Um, he's got a better save percentage through the first three games of that franchise's playoff history. 
That was two um, years ago. His numbers in Colorado was two years ago. Two years ago. He was, yeah, because he was drafted in the expansion by Seattle. So. Okay, uh, but even still, I'd still say that that defense was much better. Than, yes. But some guys are not playing to their potential. Ottinger, eight ninety eight <laughs> save percentage. That's. I I if, if we go back to when we were talking about what to expect out of teams. I said that Ottinger had to be one that had to show up because it was his first time in the playoffs. He's there's going to be a nervousness there. There's going to be a, a, a little bit of adaption. Yeah. He had a strong regular season, uh, got a little tired toward the end. If I'm not, if I'm being honest, but he, he was one that needed to step up because the playoffs are an entirely different animal. And I think that he's finding it, I think that he's now discovering what kind of different animal I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But it's not just him. Connor Hellebuck, 894. Yeah. Um, three games for Winnipeg. That's that's shocking. Um, and then there's Andre Vasilevsky. Tired. 53. Tired. 4.22 <laughs> goals against average. Through three games. If you had told someone that that was going to happen five years ago, they would have hauled you in for drug testing and slapped you in a mental health ward for a 90 day hold. He's played a lot of hockey. He, he's played a ridiculous amount of hockey in the past five years. Yes. Um, let's uh, let's leave the playoffs overall alone right now and dive into some of the other stuff. Wait, um, one last question. Going on. One last statement. The number one shock of all of this, all of we, what we talked about, little Bo, there has not been a shutout in the playoffs yet. That doesn't surprise me um, for the reason that I put in that single solitary word at the bottom of segment three. Mm-hmm. Goalies. There you go. I firmly believe that compared to where we were from, say, 2009 to 2014, and you can give or take a year on either side, I think we're at a lower place in terms of overall goaltender quality uh, in the league right now. I, I, I think that there's... It's not just that there are a lot of great offensive talent, because when you've got everyone from the Hughes, the entire Hughes family, and you know you've got McKinnon and you've got Rantanen, who has been absolutely all world this year. Uh, it's not just those guys who are that that good. I think that the middle of the league is softer than it was at this point 10, eight, 10 years ago. Interesting. And I think that that's a lot of the parody in the league because let's face it, New Jersey, the New Jersey devils very nearly won their division without a strong goaltender. But is that, is that a, is that a case of they're just outscoring? I mean, Obviously, they're outscoring their opponents. That's how you win the game. You outscore your opponent. But 
I'm talking about outscoring in terms of are you better off winning a game seven to six than you are two to one? I mean, I mean, in terms of win loss, it doesn't matter. But in terms of sustainable energy, it might matter. Yeah. If you can conserve energy, score two, three goals, four goals a night and win uh, and win reliably versus having to score six goals to win. uh, You better be offensively loaded and hope that the other team isn't better on the back end. Um, So this first round. You asked why uh, you were, you were talking about you know there's not going to be any sweeps and there's some of these are going to be very long series. Some of these teams have goaltending and not as much offense. Some of these teams have offense and no goaltending, and that's I mean that pretty much typifies the Edmonton, uh, not Edmonton. Um, there's a couple there's a couple of series like that, or there's quite frankly there's the Toronto uh, Tampa Bay series where goaltending seems to be optional. They might as well skate six on six the whole game um, because no one's goaltender is, is doing a spiffy job, but diving into the rest. um, We didn't mention it last week, but not hugely surprising. Um, the Penguins relieved Brian Burke, Ron Hextall, Chris Pryor of their duties. Um, this was part of the Fenway Sports Group purchase. They waited till the offseason to do it. Um, I think it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how the on-ice product changes for Pittsburgh going forward. Um because you've got a very old core there at this point. Yes. Um, and we're, again, talking hockey old. Um, you look at Crosby and Malkin and Latang. Even, I mean, they're not even the only guys who are that old. Jeff Carter is 38 years old. Um, he's, I, I would still consider him a part of the core of that team. Uh, he's got another year left on his contract. Uh, you've got Jeff Petrie, also 35. Uh, um, and that's, uh, that's something they're going to have to figure out. That team missed the playoffs for the first time in no, in a good number of years. Their prospect system, meh, it's not terrible. It's certainly not the best in the league. They've spent a lot of capital buying, uh, adding players at the deadline or midseason in order to shore up a playoff run. Uh, They do have a decent number of their own draft picks uh, in each round over the next couple of years. They have their own first this year. They don't have a second, but... Uh, watching what what goes on in uh, in and around PPG is going to be is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, 
I just I I don't know where they're going to go from here. They they the the ownership and uh, the ownership group and I assume that still involves Mario. I I haven't seen a complete breakdown, but basically this is the guys who own the Red Sox. If we follow the pattern there, and then, it may it may or may not be a real pattern, they're going to jazz up the arena. Okay. They're going to take it to an experience to go to the game. Uh, regardless of what the on-ice product looks like. They're going to push really hard to win once or twice, and then they're just going to milk it. Like, they're going to want, they're going to try and win a cup within their first six or five or six years, and without trading those three, or letting their contracts expire and using the money on free agents... Uh, or signing additional internal talent. And that's not going to be easy. So they have, so Fenway Sports Group has a controlling interest. Uh, part of the transaction, Hockey Hall of Fame Mario Lemieux, alongside with Ron Burkle, will remain part of the ownership group. So Mario's still there. I'm just concerned that whoever they bring in, is still going to be handcuffed by the fact that they're still going if to be Mario told is who or what they team? who or what moves they can or can't make. I mean, when you turn around and tell a GM that he can't trade for somebody, and yeah, I'm I'm still stuck on that whether you hound you know whether I'm hounding on it or not. But I'm sorry if you're going to handcuff your general manager and tell him who he can and can't move. Because you want you like this particular player, or you want to keep this particular player, even though you can bring in a younger, uh, more vibrant, uh, healthier, yeah, healthier, just as good player to play the same position. You're handcuffing your own team, and at that point, then what's then why have a general manager go and do it yourself? Because I'm sorry, but it just it. it it would bother me if I were in the GM role and ownership who hired me to make these moves suddenly turned around and told me I couldn't do it. And it concerns me that if they're still, if they're on the search, who are they going to find that's going to be willing to work under those conditions? Um, I doubt it's going to be anyone good. That's my point. Which worries me about the, the future of, the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, yeah, you're going to hang on to Evgeny Malkin. You're going to hang on to Sidney Crosby. You're going to hang on to uh, Letang, who you really signed through the heat death of the universe. Yeah, go ahead. And 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 sh- you, yeah, you've got guys like like Jake Gensel, who you got to keep around. You got you got some youth. I'm not really sold on their farm system. Just like I'm not really sold on the Bruins farm system. The Bruins have good pieces goaltenders and whatnot but what what do they have they they've banked so much on on the present mm-hmm. i just i don't see it i i am I'm, I'm just seeing it as a struggle and you're right fenway ownership group every year they 
North Fenway Sports Group every year. They they do something to the stadium here in Boston to to Fenway Park, make the make the 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 fan experience a little bit better. But then they but they got rid of a GM in Don Dombrowski who built the team to a playoff team, and then they went and got Kyle Bloom from Tampa Bay, who's used to working on a shoestring budget because they were expecting that they were going to be able to build a team on a shoestring budget. Uh, but you compete with the Yankees who spend through the nose. They just, they're going, they're going in, in the wrong direction. And I think that I worry that that's what they're going to do to the Penguins. Rant over. Go for it. I, I like, I, I, you know, I don't disagree. I mean, I'm not a baseball fan, so I don't watch the Red Sox with anything like the attention that most people in town do. Um, I am, as most of you have figured out, a hockey fan. Yep. And if I'm not watching hockey and I know that there's lacrosse or like rugby seven on, that's probably what I'm watching. Uh, and assuming there's not more hockey other than the NHL. Um, touching on, okay, this is the one I actually want to talk about the most because I think this is a layered, nuanced, deep piece that needs the attention. And that's the Jordan Cairo affair in St. Louis has their own issues. I think that Cairo is, is Cairo is only one layer of this. Uh, St. Louis problem Hot. pie. <laughs> they are because now Jordan Cairo has spent his entire career there. Mm-hmm. Um, he may be a uh, he's a Toronto native, but he's played there. He started he played 16 games in the 1819 season. So he was there through all of Tarasenko's botched surgeries. Um, He was there through signing Jordan Biddington to that forever contract that there's really no justification for other than the fact that he won a Stanley or he was in net for a Stanley cup. He was Um, in net for the Stanley cup. Yes. (laughs) And let the team has not been good. I don't even think that they were. The team has been luckier than good in the past, like six or seven years. And I include the cup win because the West was soft. I was going to say, go ahead. Use the word. Use the word. Uh, You want me to say the ishy word and I'm not going to. It's squishy. Come on. It's a fun word to say. It's a a fun word to say. (laughs) Um, Not saying it, but. And they got the hottest streak of a goaltender who has been described as fit for a straitjacket of the guy's career in that period. And it still wasn't that great of hockey. He played well, but they're talking. There's an article in The Athletic um, talking about, oh, they, he was told he needs to 
commit to playing winning hockey. I've never heard a phrase more profoundly meaningless than that. Because what is winning hockey? It's by definition hockey that wins games. If there's some some deeper nuance to that, and yes, the two of us can make guesses, as can anyone else who pays attention to hockey, because face it, his plus minus was terrible this year. But he's also spending a ridiculous amount of time on the ice with the Civ known as Jordan Bennington and Net. Okay. Um, and I apologize to Sivs everywhere for comparing them to Jordan Bennington. But he's also playing a lot of his time on the power play. Um, I would have to grab. Uh, it's it's interesting reading this article because it it ties into the whole discussion we had last week about how Armstrong doesn't feel like he understands the players because even in this, even in, the, even in the paragraph where it says at one point during Armstrong's session with reporters, he acknowledged a disconnect with younger players on the blues roster this season saying they'll play 18 minutes in a game to get an 18 second shift that can go on YouTube and get a million likes and think that that was a good night. I have to understand what makes them think like that and how we can say, you can have that, but you can also have give us this. And I and I also think that this ties into the whole story where they were talking about who's going to be captain or if they were going to have a captain or who should be captain. I get the feeling that this whole thing is tied into the fact that they want to make Jordan Cairo captain. And before they can do that, they have to make sure that his head is on right. But does he have to be captain? No. I don't even know if he's captain material, but I'm just I'm I'm just tying bits of string theory together here and trying to come up with a a plausible reason what this is. First of all, yeah, you can. uh, Bennington did this. Bennington Bennington is not a good goaltender in my, you know, but bit of a loose cannon to quote Bissonette. (laughs) But let's let's go further down the road into looking at these numbers, because it's important to break down a really squishy stat. Hey, you use and this plus machine. minus really is the best at being the worst of simple stats. Um, Jordan Kiru played two minutes and 55 seconds a night of power play time on ice, second only to Robert Thomas uh, this year. In terms of how, what that means, it means that in uh, for points, he got... He got a third. Uh, he got basically a third of his points on the power play. So twenty-three of his seventy-three points came in a way that are not going to positively or or are not going to affect his plus-minus. So if you take that minus thirty-eight and subtract the twenty-three power play points. And this is why plus minus is terrible, because you have to do a lot of math to make it work. Um, you're down to a minus 15. Still not great, but it's a lot more explainable other than, you know, the team is garbage. Because um, Braden Shen, minus 27. 
Tory Krug minus 26. Ryan O'Reilly in just 40 games. Ryan O'Reilly, the future, the former um, Patrice Bergeron award winner, aka the the Selkie. Uh, the Selkie was a minus 24 in just 40 games. Minus 24 in just 40 games. Jake Neighbors minus 19 in just 43 games. Um, this team didn't play well this year, period. And it wasn't just the forwards. It wasn't just the defense. The te- It wasn't just the sieve. The team isn't good, period. That means your best players are going to be impacted that, by that. Now, Pavel Buchnevich managed to finish the season with a plus 14 and Callie Rosen managed to finish the season with a plus 19, but there's like maybe six players on this team that had a positive plus minus mm-hmm. that shifts the plus minus to being more influenced by ice time than by a which isn't to say that I'm excusing Jordan Kiru for not making more sensible defensive zone plays and neutral zone plays because yes, I watched some blues games. He made some silly turnovers like stuff that you shouldn't be doing six years into your NHL career. Um, I don't, I don't know if Jordan Kiru is going to be there when his no trade clause kicks in uh, two years from now, because his, the contract that they're talking about in the article wasn't, it wasn't being paid this year. It kicks in next year. Mm-hmm. And then in the third year of that contract is when the, and that would be the 25, 26 season. That's when his uh, no trade clause, 15 teams kicks in. If Armstrong is still general manager at the end of next year, I really have to wonder if Kiru isn't gone. Because unless Barubi and Armstrong gave specific action points or areas of improvement to him, and from the statements that Armstrong has made lately, I do not have confidence that he did. How do you meet a standard that's basically do that basically amounts to don't do what you're doing. Particularly when you finish the season as your team's number one score. He produced more points, more goals than anyone else. Only two other four, only two other players cracked 20 goals for this blues team this year. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you improve without clear direction? More importantly, does he want to be there? Does he actually want to be in St. Louis? Well, the contract that he signed says that he wants to be, because I'm sure he likes to get paid. If he's not, if he, if he's not, but if he's not, okay, fine. If he's not happy with playing there, then he's stealing their money, in which case. No, he, he's. He's playing effectively. He's not playing great. He's playing effectively. He's a minus 37 or whatever the hell he is. I'm sorry. No. Minus 38. He's not playing effectively. I Yes, you can blame Bennington. Bennington is, is I'm not rubbish. Just Bennington. 
I'm the, saying the, the defense, whole team was garbage. The defense not as good as it has been in the past. They don't have certain players anymore. I get that. They, they. I just okay. I, when the whole team is garbage, why are you blaming your best your best offensive player? Because they want to make him captain. That's the only thing I can think of. And in order to throw a C on his chest, they want him to commit to saying that he's going to do better. Which, in the article, he does say that he wants to contribute more to the team's success. The article writer picks it apart and jumps on the semantics, and you can read it yourself. But this is, I think this is as much a blues organizational issue as it is a Jordan Kiru issue, because that was not a playoff team. It's it's an everything issue, but it starts with Kairou. Jordan Kairou has to want to play a 200-foot game. What I saw of this, uh, and granted, I did not see every St. Louis game. There, you know, disclaimer. But games that I saw St. Louis playing in, he is not back-checking. And granted, it, it, we didn't see other players – Pasternak was not a huge back checker, was not a huge player in the defensive zone when he first came into the league. He is now. Pasta will back check. Pasta will play defense in the defensive zone. But as I as but I Pasta message still turns you, over a lot of pucks. He is rescued by his line mates on a nightly basis. I'm not saying he's perfect, but I'm saying that but, he actually. But here's the thing: Cairo isn't getting that support because it doesn't exist. You took a former Selkie Award winner and you shipped him out. Admittedly, that Selkie Award winner was not useful this season himself. But you can't, no one can play 100% perfect hockey except for Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> you know, every shift that they're on the ice, every single game. To expect Jordan Kiru to go out there with no backup. And when, you know, 55 games a season for the Blues, it's a little bit much. Do okay, I, am you're, I getting, you're getting it? paid to do that, though. Yes, the contract kicks in next year. Yes, the contract. Uh, the, the, no the one stipulations forced the Blues to, to sign that, co- to hand him that contract to sign. Right. Him and Robert Thomas. They, 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 that tells me they're expecting more out of these players. And that's their expectations. That's not reality. And but if he's not going, story, if he's not capable of giving that, then it's, it's a, what he actually contributes is way more important than what people expect of him. If you mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't believe you have captain material that to the point where you have to force it on someone, which sounds like that's what you're saying. And th- that's the that's impression a, I get from this issue, article. Not a them issue. That's the impression I get from this article based on what we talked about last week is that they want more from this guy. They're, I'm guessing that they're going to in some way put him up in front of the team as this is your captain. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to expect. It's an it's an odd it's an odd press conference to be having because. What you're asking of Jordan Cairo, you can ask of all you 20 can, players on that roster. Yes. They all need to play better. And which is 100% my position. 
it's not just a Jordan Kiru issue. It's a Blues organization issue. It's a roster issue because, yes, there's a lot of players there who could have played better. But just because someone is the most offensively gifted does not make them captain material. I mean, Mark Savard was the best offensive player in Boston when he arrived. Did he get the C? No, he didn't. No, because just being the best offensive player is not is not good enough, not necessarily good enough to be captain material. And this is why I say that this is a bigger issue. This issue is more about Blues off ice leadership than it is about Jordan Kiru. Jordan Kiru's game can 100 percent improve. There are issues with his game, but when you have and and commits to working on a little dramatically despair a despair of winning on a nightly basis because you know the team is not good. It's really hard not to just control the things that you can actually control, which is shooting the puck and making good passes and knowing that you are the best offensive threat on the team and acting upon that versus Mm -hmm. burning energy in other areas that you're not as good at. Like, he walked into the locker room last September, looked around and said, okay, I can outscore everyone here. I cannot out back check. I cannot out forecheck what we expect of that guy or that guy. I'm not a defenseman like those seven guys over there. I'm not a goaltender like that guy there. Although I'm probably as good as the guy over there. Um, Maybe he's simply focusing on his own stats, as some people have accused him of, because he doesn't trust the rest of the team to do anything. Remember, only two other guys scored 20 goals on this team this year. Mm-hmm. He had to know that he had to create offense. Okay. And that's fine. you got to create offense. You gotta, you're expected to be an offensive player. I'm just saying that... It, if you're looking for Jordan Cairo in the defensive end, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and if it is minus 37 is minus 38, whatever it is, is expected to be, he's expected to be better than that. And he's being paid to be better than that. Okay. Eric Carlson scored 101 points, led the sharks in offense was a minus 26. Should he be? Should someone slap the captain C on him? On Eric Carlson? Eric Carlson? I would hope not. Why? I don't think he's captain material. Okay, Logan Couture, twenty-seven goals, forty mm-hmm. assists, sixty-seven points, minus thirty. Should should he have the C? Does anybody Does on that have team have a C? Have they have? Does he wear the captaincy now? Because they they took it away from Joe Thornton years ago and never gave it to anybody for like two years. Oh no! You look at his look at his jersey, and there's a C on there, or mm-hmm. there was in some of the pictures. Um, yeah, he's he's got the C. If having a bad season on a bad team is cause for Outsized criticism? 
outside. Jordan Kira was paid less than $3 million this year. Yes. He singled out in a press conference in what you were. I didn't say it was right for them to single him out. That whole team needs to be called out. That the the team but played. They didn't call out the whole team. They called out one dude. They called out their best offensive player, like he was, like Cassidy attacking every rookie for making a mistake. <laughs> and as I said, it, and as I said, the message calling out calling out your best player in, in this manner is should be a resume generating event. I mean, you can't. Especially on a team that performed the way they did, you can't just call him out. You have to. You're going to sit there and say, "Oh, we expected more of him." Well, what about the rest of the guys on the team? You knew they were crap, so you're not going to bother. So you agree with me? It's an organizational issue that's mostly off ice and not a Jordan Kyrou issue. I don't think Finally, it's a Jordan Kyrou issue. I think there is stuff he needs to work on, but in this case, this is not a Jordan Kyrou issue. This article, it's a, it's an organizational yes. I believe that he does have stuff to work on, but I think this was the wrong way to go about bringing it out. Entirely uh, the wrong way. I think it was just dumb. Yes, um, exactly. You find an article. I absolutely love it. And uh, it's another one of those human interest stories regarding uh, regarding Mr. Perfect. Is it is it something we can call him besides? I mean, we don't like calling it the the <clears throat> perfection line, but is it fair to call him Mister Perfect? I mean, How, I, uh, guess, I guess Patrice? I guess I guess six Selkie Awards say that answer that question. But how about Saint Patrice? <laughs> That's what they're going to be calling him in Boston. <laughs> I'm surprised I, there aren't more children been calling in Boston him that for a couple of years. I'm surprised there aren't more children in the Boston area named Patrice. Uh, I just found this was very interesting, clicking around, looking for stuff before the show. And even though Bergeron is home injured and unfortunately not playing in, in games three or four, he's still highly involved, sitting on his couch. And the way that Emily Benjamin here describes it, it's also very Bergeron. He's messaging Chris Kelly during the game. He's messaging Montgomery during the game. You could, you could tell that he was pretty pumped up of the way we were playing. Monty said of the text that we received during the Bruins 4-2 win on game three. That was the thing that was first and foremost that came up. And I think he's just, you you feel you're helpless. It's the, like the first time you retire and you become a coach. You don't have any impact on the ice, so how do you help? So he texted. He shared. He did what he could. I think it's just great that he's so detailed in all, and and that's what the quote is. It's he's so detailed in all three areas. He can help anyone. He can and, help a power play player. He can help a fourth line center, a winger. He can help a defenseman. He knows everybody's responsibilities within our structure. If if this isn't. If this isn't the start, if, if 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 this isn't the cover letter of his resume when he retires to be a coach, it should be. <laughs> Absolutely, and I genuinely wonder. I mean, he may well take a year, two years off after after his career. You know, may it end twenty five years from now, um, and you know, sit at home with the family. 
but oh, yeah, despite the fact that he is the quietest superstar to play in Boston in my lifetime, I think he's too intense a personality to sit down at not even 40 or at 42 or whenever he decides to hang up the skates and say, yeah, I'm just going to play golf and uh, collect stamps until I, you know, wander off the mortal coil. I think that he's probably going to end up coaching something for at least a couple of years. And I'll tell you the one, the one place that having him sitting out is killing them is in faceoffs. I mean, unfortunately, that's the biggest criticism you can make of Charlie Coyle uh, in the last two or three games or, or just in general this year. If Coyle were as good at faceoffs as he is at protecting the puck, he'd probably be better than Bergeron because he's ridiculous at that. <laughs> Montgomery said that Bergeron is skating in Boston, still progressing toward a potential return in game five, which he had earlier deemed likely last two sentences of this article. And, and that will be doubly good news for Montgomery who for now is much happier to be coaching Bergeron on the ice than hearing footsteps footsteps coming for his job. <laughs> Asked how he thought Bergeron would do as a coach, Montgomery said, Excellent. Glad he's made a lot of money. Hopefully he doesn't want to make any more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that Bergeron would probably, based on his own personality, whether someone invited him to coach in the NHL, or not right away, I think that he's almost certain to start somewhere in major junior, uh, even as a major junior head coach for a year or two before coming back to the NHL. Um, I think if there's going to be, yeah, if there's going to be coaching in his future, it's he's not jumping right to an NHL coaching job. He's going to be starting out with players that he can teach and mold and, and – uh, you, you know, given where he lives, even a college coaching gig would be huge, would mm-hmm. be uh, something that he might that might be a balance because you're talking a much shorter season. Um, you know, 40 games versus the 70 or so that, you know, the the CHL plays if pick a Boston school or even like UNH says, just- hey. Come coach here. You're going to be home most days. You're going to be home, you know, four days a week, five days a week to play with your kids. I was going to say, aren't all his kids young right now? His kids are young, yeah. And he's got another one due, I think, in June. Oh, that's right. They're having a fourth. I remember reading that somewhere. Bergeron and Marshang were talking about their kids. Like, if he's – and how – I mean, how is that as a recruiting – uh, as a recruiting element for a college team, come play for the six-time Selkie Award winner. <laughs> come play for the future Hall of Famer, because if if Patrice Bergeron went to UNH or he went to Maine and took over the Brown Bears, halfway between you know there he's halfway between Boston and. And his family up in the uh, up in the Quebec City area. Um, 
recruiting wise, you basically almost don't have to go anywhere. Hi, future Hall of Famer, probably the most famous player to ever coach in U.S. college. Um, well, at least after, yeah, who didn't play college hockey. Just head coach, oh, look, I have 684 players looking to transfer here this year. So you're telling me if he were to suddenly be the head coach of the Salem State University hockey team, they would suddenly have an overabundance of players wanting to go there? Oh, Salem State is Division Three, I believe, so maybe not. <laughs> Although, you know what? It would still attract to, some players. I was just trying to pick, like, not something that was as as on the radar as Harvard or Boston University or, or something like that. Yeah. I was trying to pick Even something. UVM. If you like were to University go coach, of Vermont? Yeah, if you were to go coach UVM. I mean, they haven't had a big name since Tim Thomas. Well, Tim Thomas and Marty St. Louis. St. Louis. <laughs> were there at like the same time, I think, or pretty close to it. But imagine what it would do for a program like that. Or say not that I can imagine him moving there, but say one of the Southern schools like Mississippi state decides they want a division one hockey team. Go coach at Arizona state. They have a hockey team in the desert. (laughs) Just like think of the, think of the transformative. Doesn't Grambling have a hockey team? Wait a minute. (laughs) Like, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, University of St. Thomas down in the Virgin Islands uh, could hire him as head coach, and they'd suddenly start selling out games. I mean, I for sure would fly down to watch a couple of games down there. Yeah. And as as Montgomery said, he's kind of glad that he's still playing and not coaching and not coming after his job, so... (laughs) Um, really, really quick, um, because we don't have time for everything this week. Um, did a poll. Um, I'm somewhat surprised by the results of the poll. Uh, asked the question, will Peter Laviolette still be unemployed July 1st? What do you think, uh, the results were, or did you look? I did not look. I did not vote as I don't vote in our polls. Cause I'd rather talk about it later. Um, I honestly think this one's probably close just because Peter Laviolette hasn't been. So I'm going to go like 55, 45, 60, 40, something like that. It, 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 it landed 50, 50, not surprised. I mean, Laviolette. Yeah. He's been in the new, he's from the new England area, but the fact that he's coached in like Nashville and Washington and, and I don't think that enough people know whether how he's been doing in his career. I mean, those of us who follow hockey, I fully expect that he's going to have a job. I'd be surprised. I mean, with, with a resume such as his making the Stanley cup finals, has he won the big one? He won the big one with Carolina back in the Oh five Oh six season. Right. Um, 
He but lost in the finals with the Nashville Predators in 1617. Mm-hmm. Lost in the finals with the Flyers um, in 0910. That was Kane's disappearing uh, puck to end the series, I believe it was. It was also, wasn't that the series where Pronger was just being a um, shift disturber and threw away one of the ga- the uh, game winning pucks? Uh, sounds familiar, but I don't remember for certain. I just I just think that with a resume like his, he's taken three different teams to the to the Stanley Cup final. Yes, I I, I find it hard to believe that he's going to be without a job after July first. Uh, I will be certain if he makes it through the second, the end of the second round without a job, I'll be shocked because he probably does want to take some time off. Uh, he's been pretty steadily employed for the past decade and a half. Um, you know, he played, he was behind the bench for all 82 in the last two seasons. And then 56 games uh, of the, uh, of the previous season, the 2021 heading into the lockdowns and everything. And then 1920 season, you know, he played, he was behind the bench for 41 games for the Preds. Um, still had a winning record at the time too, uh, when he was relieved, but. Yep. And I think you've hit it on the head. I think that this whole question of, will he be unemployed until July 1st? I think that's more up to him than it is up to teams in the NHL. Absolutely. I I mean, there's been a lot of coaches that have been punted in the last two seasons. So there's probably not quite as many openings as there might otherwise be. But, you know, Pittsburgh has cleaned house above the like above the bench the new general manager comes in and wants Peter Laviolette as their head coach um that means Mike Sullivan is uh, going to be looking could you see why uh, uh, he, he, I know we I know we got time but quick very quickly Barry Trotz calls Peter Laviolette and says come back to Nashville I don't know. Cause at one Nashville, point, at, at one point, Barry Trotz was the coach that Peter replaced in Washington. <laughs> I mean, right now they don't, they, they have John Hines as a head coach. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that Barry Trotz is going to push him out right away. Right. And I also don't know that Mike Sullivan wants to sit through a rebuild because Trotz has said that they're going to patiently rebuild the team and a patient rebuild from a team like Nashville, an ownership group like Nashville could be six or seven years easily. I mean, they've got a ridiculous. I don't know why Mike Sullivan would be on there. Um, they've got a ridiculous trove of draft picks over the next yes. three years. Uh, but I'm just thinking in terms of the last time they had playoff success, Laviolette was the head coach. 
personnel was slightly different. Yes, I get it, but I don't know. I just it's an interesting thought. Oh, it's a very interesting thought. Um, and I, I, I mean, yeah, I have to, you have to feel for John Hines a little bit because he's only, he's been the head coach there three years and three months, uh, basically replacing Laviolette. Yep. I don't know. Um, a place that might actually make sense if they, if they go with the new broom as well. Um, the senators are expected to be sold at some point this year. Who's that? He's willing to go north and coach, I don't know, Brady Kachuk and Claude Giroux and Drake Batherson and oh, I, Tim Stutzla. I'm not saying that wouldn't be an ideal place to go and coach, but is Ottawa is Ottawa looking to replace their head coach? I, their fans are very nearly as toxic as Toronto's and Montreal's, so who who can tell just by looking at the fans? A very good point. <laughs> um, but if they do decide to go with if ownership, a new ownership group does come in and decide they want a new broom from day one. Um, yes, then I could see Laviolette going there. It depends on when ownership takes over. Especially they if they can do – like. They have they have a decent amount of cap space. If they could add like two useful defenders and retain most of their young talent, that's a scary team. Like if you add if you add Ekholm and Orlov to this team and bring them into the bring them back next year, bring most people back next year. They need to focus on a goaltender. And they do need goaltending, but there's not many goaltenders who are going to be better available. Um, and Cam Talbot, I don't consider a terrible goaltender. Um, if he can get back to playing at a 915, and you're talking, and you've got a useful defense and that offense in front of him. Technically, they have no goaltenders. For next year, well, they do. They have minor league goaltenders. Oh, they have Anton. Oh, Anton Forsberg, but he's uh, you have he's currently on injured reserve. Oh, I missed. I scrolled right past him. I apologize. If if they could get a nine fifteen out of whoever they have in net next year, and yes. add Ekholm and Orlov on the back end, they're a playoff team. Yes, they're a playoff, but like. And if I'm a head coach, I mean, that might draw Claude Julian back to the NHL because we know he'd love Brady Kachuk's game. He's talked about uh, Claude Giroux's game in the past. Kind of hard not to like Tim Stutzla. Yeah. Um, And then you got Chikrin, Shabbat. um, Okay. Anyways, so you heard uh, it here first, Laviolette to Ottawa. That's correct. You did hear it here first. <laughs> um, we missed. Uh, we just don't have time to talk about uh, the Canucks and their potential moves. Which we can move that one. Which honestly comes from an article that is 
basically a whole lot of I'm throwing spaghetti at the internet and seeing what people have to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am going to leave end the show with this one statement. Okay. Some people are going to like it. Some people are going to hate it and don't care. The only time that McAvoy looks like an elite goal to, uh, elite defenseman is when Grizzlick is there to clean his cage. Yeah. That's it. Period. No, the, there, uh, there is no other way to cut it. Grizzly came. They put Grizzly in in game three. And yes, yeah, suddenly McAvoy looked better. And yeah, I think the fact that Grizzly knows what he's what he can and can't do, knows his upside, knows his downside. Uh, he's the perfect crutch for. I will I will make a comparison um, for people who are not sure or, or who think I'm completely out of my mind. Let's uh, jump in your time machine of choice and reset for. Uh, let's see. It was. Yes. A decade ago, uh, actually a decade and a half ago. Um, the summer of 06, uh, heading into the 06, 07 season, there were a bunch of UFAs in Ottawa. Wayne Redden, UFA. Um, Zdeno Chara, UFA. Uh, you had Peter Schaefer up on that team. You had Brian Smolinski. Whole bunch of guys. And Didn't all those guys play for the Bruins at some point? Several of them did, yeah. <laughs> Everybody everywhere was talking about Wayne Redden as the best defenseman on that team and the one guy you absolutely had to go get if you wanted your team to be successful. Mm-hmm. Wade Redden. Wade Redden did not come to Boston. Nope. The guy on the other half of his D-pair did. That, one that guy's shot. career skyrocketed and went on and won a cup. And the other guy guy. played a few more years. You mean that Chara guy? That Chara guy. Didn't Wade Redden play play his one year in Boston? I thought Redden came here. He played six games in Boston in the 12-13 season. That's what it was. And then five playoff games, I believe it was. And he was uh, not very effective. But... Sometimes when you think you're seeing a spectacular player, what you're really seeing is someone enabled by a spectacular player. Do I think that Mar- that Grizzly is a top 10 goal uh, defenseman in the league? No. His plus minus says he is. <laughs> His plus minus says he is. His closest <laughs> comparison is Josh Morrissey, who was a top three defenseman, a top five defenseman in the league this year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the fact that the guy next to him looks so much better when Grizzly is on the ice and Grizzly, like Adam Fox in these playoffs so far, less offense for sure. But like Adam Fox has been 
deep still water, it's a big deal. It's not just goals. It's not just the biggest hits. It's total impact on the game. And Grizzlick's impact is bloody immaculate. And And that, hockey fans, is where we leave you. Have a great week. Enjoy the games. Uh, There's certainly one on now. There will be one on just about every hour of the day. (laughs) Have a great week.